0: a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books.
1: This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker.
0: You'll find what you came for here, and
1: more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com.
0: Hey, everybody. How are you? Welcome to the program. This is The Other People Show. I am Brad Listy here in Los Angeles. It's good to be with you. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. You can also subscribe on YouTube. I have today another flashback episode for you, this from episode 506, my conversation with Elif Bodeman, which first aired on February 28, 2018. Elif Bodeman's first novel, The Idiot, was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize and was shortlisted for the Women's Prize for Fiction in the UK. When we spoke in 2018, she was touring for that book. Elif is also the author of a novel called Either Or, which was published just last year. It was a New York Times notable book. She is also the author of a book called The Possessed, Adventures with Russian Books and the People Who Read Them, which was a finalist for a National Book Critics Circle Award in criticism. Elif Badaman has been a staff writer at The New Yorker magazine since 2010. So you're going to hear an outtake from my conversation with Elif Bottoman in 2018 in just a bit. Before we get started, I do want to remind you about my weekly email newsletter. It is free and you can subscribe at otherppl.com or bradlisty.com. It goes out once a week. It's pretty simple. I will let you know about the latest episodes of the podcast and I share a few links to things that I've been reading and finding interesting. So sign up for the newsletter, if that sounds good. Likewise, I want to remind you that the Other People podcast is listener supported. If you love this show, you can support this show over at Patreon.com/slash/otherpplpod. So my guest today in this flashback episode is Elif Bodeman. We had a great conversation in episode 506 which first aired on February 28th 2018 a reminder that you can listen to the full episode the full conversation with Elif just uh, right there in the other people podcast feed all of the episodes are available so look for episode 506 if you would like to hear the full conversation all right so let's get to it with today's flashback this is me in conversation with elif Our
1: age, it must have the same kind of special meaning because we all preferred writing to interacting in person we were all <laughs> at this young horrible awkward age in the mid 90s or early 90s or whatever whenever email came around and I, i'm sure that many of us used it for that but it, like
0: you know we're a couple years apart or two or three years apart i think i'm a little bit older but i don't remember anybody dating there wasn't like courtship Like, you know, I guess some people did, but it didn't feel like that was, there was no, there was no normal set of circumstances or procedures to follow it. I don't know. I I didn't, I could never figure out how to initiate. Maybe there, maybe I was just missing it.
1: Oh, that's very interesting. Um, yeah, I, I definitely wasn't dating, but I had an impression that everyone else was. But maybe me um, too. Yeah,
0: <laughs> but I mean, it's I a mean maybe candidate. they were. <laughs> maybe they were. Maybe that's what that's why we were on email. I'm going, wow, this is great. I can actually like communicate to somebody. <laughs> hey, everybody! If you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called "Truth Is the Arrow, Mercy Is the Bow." Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. So you are, like, let's go back to the beginning. You you talked during, uh, when we, I think we were sound checking mm. um, about being born in New, New York. Yes, that's right. But raised in New Jersey.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Okay. And then are you first generation?
1: Um, yeah, my parents came, uh, they finished medical school in Turkey. They met at medical school in Ankara. And they came to Jersey City, New Jersey, to do their medical residency and um, that's where I lived in the, until I was five and then they moved to the suburbs.
0: Wow. Oh, so both your parents are doctors. Mm-hmm, that's right. What kind of doctors?
1: My father's a nephrologist and my mother's a hematologist. Okay. Is nephrology kidney? That's a, Yeah, exactly. Okay. And Second the most complicated organ after the brain as nephrologists love to tell you. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's very. The, well, the kidney does a lot of stuff. What does it do? Well, you think of the liver as, as the thing that detoxifies you, but apparently it's actually the kidney regulates all, like if it regulates how much water you drink and your salt and you know what? I don't know, but it, it's it's hard and it does it all.
0: And so, and so you're the child of two like sciencey medical people. Yeah, yeah. And you are somebody who I think from a very young age wanted to be in the arts and wanted to be a writer.
1: Yeah, I wanted to be a writer from a very early age. I guess, I mean... I don't know. I'm the child of two overachievers and, uh, in, in, secondary schools in Turkey when my parents were growing up and I think to to an extent now you would take a you would take well definitely now you take an exam at the end of secondary school and then that determines what you go into university for and there's no like four year liberal arts program or anything like that you go right into whatever you go into and at that time if you got the highest score you became a doctor so it kind of didn't matter it almost didn't matter what you were interested in so they they both became doctors I don't know that they would have I think my mother probably would not have become a doctor if um, she hadn't just scored this particular score on a test when she was 17. But yeah, so then they came to Jersey City and they were super busy and working all the time. And uh, I didn't have any siblings, so I read a lot. And And my father taught me to read when I was like three or four. I was really little. And I loved to carry heavy books around the house and it made me feel important. I was already really concerned with feeling important and dignified. Yeah, so so I spent a lot of time reading and, and got a lot of comfort from books. And from an early age, I wanted to do that for other people to make people feel as... Actually, I, I found books extremely funny, and I noticed that that ability to turn unpleasant, alienating experiences into shared, joy-inducing experiences through humor um and that was something that i associated with with i mean later with novels but but always with with literature with just you know pages of, with words on them and no pictures and nothing else. And that's what I wanted to be able to do for, for people.
0: Just to like, take those, like the, the humiliations. Yeah, of life. exactly. Life is humiliating. It
1: really is. It's one indignity after another.
0: Well, okay. So speaking I'm so of...
1: glad we're on the same page <laughs> about this.
0: <laughs> oh, wait, you have no idea. <laughs> uh, so I've been working on a book. Uh, that's because I want to make this about me for just a second. Oh yeah, let's do it. But it speaks to like the themes of your book and the youthful idiocy and, you know, how like misguided we can be mm-hmm. despite best intentions. Yeah. Even, and we don't realize it. No, you know? we don't. So I, uh, I found this document. I've been tweeting about this and it, like, it, it's truly painful for me. Yeah. It's 900,000 words that I wrote in my early twenties.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: And I've been reading it and I'm like, you can, I almost have tears in my eyes. Like it's so <laughs> upsetting, like emails, letters, attempts at fiction, and it's so bad is it one file or is it it's one giant file it's one microsoft word document wow and it's just like you just scroll through time and it's like yeah. letters like letters that i wrote to my grandmother now you know now deceased where i'm like what was i thinking like it's like i it's like i want to help the person like yeah. reach into the computer and just like yeah. slap my former self and so the question that I have for you is that you know you, the the idiot is based on something that you had written.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I guess grad school. You were a little mm-hmm. you were a little bit wiser than mm-hmm. like the undergrad version mm-hmm. of you, but you were still very young. Yeah. So when you went back to revisit this and to say, yeah. oh, I'm gonna f- this is the the novel that I'm gonna write, like how much work did you have to do on the text? How much of that sense of humiliation or yeah. like oh my god, what was I thinking was there or was it relatively like well No, formed? no, no.
1: I had a very similar experience to the experience that you described, which is I... Um, so first it was on FTP, and then I migrated it to OneDrive, and then eventually it got to Google Drive. And I, it was also insanely long. It was like 400,000 words, because that's all we had to do then, right? Was we would just like sit there and write these crazy things. And it was this feeling that some crazy kid had written this incredibly long document and dumped it on my computer, and I was kind of as a 38-year-old person... I was actually I was in Tuscany on a on a writing fellowship in in the countryside surrounded by pugs. There, there were like a lot of pugs around and it was just like a dream. <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was this wonderful wonderful fellowship that um, Beatrice Monti does. She's the, the widow of Gregor von Rizzori, the interwar novelist and she loves pugs and she always has a few of them that are alive. And then there's also these monuments to the ones that are dead with all of their names because they don't live very long. They're not a hardy species. Uh,
0: we just had a French bulldog that died last year. Oh, I'm sorry to he hear that. choked on a bagel. That's why we have oh, my a puppy goodness.
1: now. Yeah, I've been seeing your puppy frolic behind you at the window. It's adorable.
0: Oh, so, so she's outside. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. yeah that yeah. means she's not peeing in the house. Yeah, exactly.
1: So. <laughs> she's experiencing all of the joy and freedom that we intellectuals are not feeling. <laughs> so it's good. So Italian um, so, yeah. countryside. So Italian countryside. I was trying to write another book that I had a contract to write, which was also autobiographical, but it was supposed to be set in 2010. And I kept having flashbacks because the, the story I was telling, trying to tell was, was sort of complicated and involved. And um, it was supposed to start in 2010. And then it went back to 2008. And then it went back to 2005. And uh, at some point, I, I started writing about what that person, who was really basically me, was like in college. And I was sitting in Tuscany, surrounded by pugs living and dead. And I didn't remember anything. I mean, I was just like making stuff up. And then I thought, well, I wrote a whole book about this, didn't I? Why don't I just look and see what it was. And I knew it was going to be really painful. And I don't know if I would have been able to necessarily download it and look at it if I hadn't been somewhere. So, you know, just, uh, um, removed from my, my ordinary life and, uh, routine. And it was, it, it, it was extremely, ex- uh, it's so hard to describe that. I mean, definitely the first experience was horror and, some degree of shame, and really a lot of pity. I also wanted to go back and tell that person so many things. The other thing I realized is that, as you said, I I, I wrote it when I was 23, about when I was 18. So already by 23, I thought that as an 18 year old, I I, I was ashamed already of the things that I'd done when I was 18. So there was a, there was the, I, I had I had one year of graduate school so I knew about the difference between the narrator and the protagonist and uh the idea was that the narrator was was much smarter and older and wiser than the protagonist and there was this kind of distancing of um where the narr- there were flash forwards and the narrator would be like oh of course when we're young we don't realize we're so stupid and then when we're older we learn you know of course these obvious things but of course that older wiser Person was actually twenty-three, and I was reading these things at age thirty-eight, and um, the twenty-three-year-old things seemed even more appalling than the eighteen-year-old things because at least when I was eighteen, I didn't have all these ideas about how smart I was. Yeah, you, there's like no arrogance or delusions of grandeur. Yeah, or maybe... there, there were, there were, but there were. I wasn't trying to theorize about them, and and when I when I reread that material, and I was able to separate from just the the first kind of visceral feeling of horror. I felt, I saw that I had been ashamed when I was 23 of how I'd been when I was 18. And I felt as I read some kind of distance coming in where I felt like that 18-year-old person was a different person from me. So I no longer had to feel ashamed. Like it was still, I could still see how embarrassing and awkward it was, but it seemed like almost like it was a different person. And also like, it felt like a science experiment. Like, oh, if you took a person and you... And you had them in this environment and you expose them to this, and then you move them to this other environment. Here are the kinds of things that they would be able to do. And here are the things they wouldn't be able to do. Here's what they would understand and what they would misunderstand. And like, what's there to be ashamed? There's plenty to be embarrassed about because of all the mistakes and, and you know, varyingly comic and upsetting situations that could come out. But why should anyone be ashamed of anything? Which is really a wonderful place to, to get to eventually when you're working on anything or writing anything. So um, that was actually what made me want to go back to it. And, um, one of, one of the things that made me want to go back to it. And I found that the parts that were the most valuable to me were, and, and the most precious were the, the unmediated descriptions of the awkward and confusing things that happened to the 18 year old, rather than the pontifications of the person who was 23. So I just cut all of those out and I kept the, the 18 year old stuff and called it the idiot. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
0: Well, and you know, it's a unique situation where you're 38 when you're working on this Mm -hmm. and you've, you're looking at a piece of writing that's 15 years old. Yeah. And so, you know, depending on how, how many books one hopes to write. Yeah. And I would assume you're trying to continue working and publishing. Mm -hmm. It's not likely that you're going to have that kind of gap to like let a piece of text sort of cool. Yeah. And then you, it's an amazing
1: opportunity. It is. And, and,
0: but it also strikes me as, um, like a rare and then like be enviable and then see, I find myself wondering, and this is some sort of creative block that I have to get over is that, uh, because I can basically look backwards at anything I've written Mm -hmm. and be sort of horrified, Mm -hmm. like oh, like what an idiot. Yeah then whenever I'm sitting down like now to write, I'm like in two years, I'm going to look at this and realize what an idiot I was like. You can never escape it. So you just have to kind of just give up and let yourself be an idiot.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think you do have to (laughs) give up and let yourself be an idiot. I, yeah. uh, Um,
0: I mean, do you have that or do you feel like you achieve a certain level of intelligence or maturity and you realize you've, you've got some sort of baseline?
1: No, I mean, I think it, I think it, it tapers a little bit. It, um, like it's not between, I think when you're 19 and you read something that you wrote when you were 18, you're like horrified and appalled. And I mean, I think it's less drastic between 40 and 39, but I, I definitely do feel. Cause you, you, I mean, I think that the reading and editing part of your brain and the writing part of your brain are very different and they have different capabilities. And I don't know that the. the in my case, the editing part of my brain is, I think, a little bit smarter and more sophisticated than the writing part of my brain. Or it's just, it's easier to see what's what's wrong with something than it is to create something wonderful. Um, I I spent many years studying literary criticism, and it's 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 something that I can, I can do, and that I think that most writers can do. And I think you just have to disable that part of your brain while you're writing and just not think about it. I also had the experience of, so the first book I wrote about um uh called The Possessed Adventures With With Russian Books and the People Who Read Them, which was about um it's supposed to be funny, it's about being a, a grad student in Russian literature. Uh so I published that in two thousand and ten and uh then the idiot just came out last year and I did an audiobook of the idiot and they said, well why don't you just do an audiobook of the possessed too so I had this experience of sitting in a sound studio reading aloud this book that I'd written in you know 2009 and it was uh, a lot of the parts of it had been written much earlier than that and it was just mortifying and and it just felt like like torture to be locked up there with your own work like, because the worst the worst punishments are the ones that you know that you brought on yourself right. and just and <laughs> and also as a writer I think you're always you always have some thought that, I don't know, I always have a thought that I haven't truly expressed any of the things I want to express yet. And the next thing is going to be the one where I do it. And I'm always very excited to go and do the next thing. And then there was something very um, punitive about being forced to be in a room to like go through the past with that level of granularity, like rereading a book that I'd written a long time ago. And I I found myself wanting to change everything and, and going through it and being like, you know, how did nobody fix all of these things? And then I sort of got through that too. And, um, and partly it was from, from talking to readers who, who had read the possessed the way it was and, and had responded to that. And I just was able eventually to almost to a. Rep- process of fatigue and attrition that I feel like I experience sometimes with editing too. You send a, you send a text back and forth and back and forth and after a while you're you're somehow okay with it. I guess just because you can't fight anymore. But I, I reached that point with the possessed where I was like, wait, that just is the book that it is and it's not mine anymore. It's not me anymore. It some readers have a relationship with it and that's that's great. And
0: it, like we <laughs> always see the warts on our own work. Yeah. Like, you know, you, like everyone tends to be their own worst critic.
1: Oh, then I had this experience that I, I one of my favorite novels that I read in college was the portrait of a lady by Henry James. And I really, I just adored that book. And I, uh, then I lost my copy and I was trying to reread it. And all of these lines that I remembered weren't there. And it was so much worse than I remembered. And I was getting really upset and thinking I was crazy. And then, um, then I looked it up and I was reading the New York edition, which Henry James revised, I think 20 years after he wrote the original. And it's, he really changed a lot of things and not for the better. I I don't think for the better, there, mm. yeah, there's a kind of, um, I, he made things more kind of, there's more hedging, there's less, I don't to, to me, he, he took some of the funnier lines and toned them down a little bit. And I, I don't know, I just love the first. So then I thought, oh, nobody knows. Nobody's like writers, older writers aren't the best arbiters of the work that they wrote when they were younger.
0: Yeah. I was going to say like, I, I totally understand that impulse to want mm-hmm. to go back and like fix it up. Yeah. But you, I think you have to resist. Yeah. You, you have
1: to resist. You've got
0: to let it be. That's the book that he, that was the book that yeah. he wrote when he was whatever age. Exactly. You know,
1: and especially that, especially I think when we're younger, we're funny in a way that we're not necessarily when we're older, because we're more afraid and we know more. And that was actually one of the happier some of the happier moments I had while rereading the idiot draft were when I just saw kinds of jokes that I wouldn't make anymore. And sometimes they seemed kind of like, I don't know, like obnoxious, but, but in the end it was kind of a pleasure to leave them in because it just felt like, I don't know, like, like this crazy funny kid went and wrote this kind of angry sad weird funny book it, it just seemed like kind of a gift from some other person and i think i guess that's what what made me able to be sort of generous with it was because so much time had passed that it, it really did feel like another person wrote it and i got kind of a free pass from the from the shame that one feels
0: all right folks there we go that was the flashback to my conversation with elif bottom in episode 506 It first aired on February 28th, 2018. You can listen to the full conversation. It's in the podcast feed. Look for episode 506. Listen to it. Have at it. It's a good one. You can find Elif on the internet at elifbottoman.com. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. You can also subscribe on YouTube. Follow the show on social media, TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. If you love the show, if you had a nice experience, if you would like to support it and help it continue into the future, you can do so at patreon.com otherpplpod. A good way to help the show is to rate it wherever you listen. Give it a rating, write a little review if that's an option. If you would like to get some other people apparel, you can do that at the show's official website, otherppl.com. T-shirts, sweatshirts, different colors, different sizes, women's, cuts, you know, everything you could possibly want. It's all there. Go get a t-shirt. If you want to subscribe to my free weekly email newsletter, you can do that at bradlisty.com or ppl.com. And if you would like to read my latest novel, it is out there. It is called Be Brief and Tell Them Everything. I think I alluded to it in this flashback. That was years ago, so I must have been really in the thick of it. It's available in trade paperback, ebook, and audiobook editions. Again, it is called Be Brief and Tell Them Everything. So, another week. I feel like there have been some good episodes lately. There's another one coming up on Sunday. I will be in conversation with Sarah Rose Etter. She has a novel out or it is imminent. It's about to drop. It's called RIPE. I had a great conversation with Sarah Rose Etter, so stay tuned.